0: This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, guys, Parshas Vayakhel. Pereklamet hei by Yomer Moshe al Khol Adas bin Israel, Lamor, Moshe Rabbinu spoke to all of the Adas bin Israel, to all the people of Ben Israel, saying, var This is the matter that a Baruch who commanded, saying the following. We just spoke about Shabbos. Three psukim are said about Shabbos. And now he tells them that they're supposed to build the Mishkan. The word Lamor appears not once, but twice, two times. It used the word laymore in two times. It says saying as if this is what you're supposed to say. What exactly does this mean? What exactly did this go on to? So what does this mean exactly? So first of all, Moshe spoke to everyone in Bnei Yisrael and he told them they're supposed to donate to the Mishkan itself. Some of them he spoke to directly and some of them he spoke to indirectly. Everyone though was invited to donate to the Mishkan, including women and children. Everyone should be invited here. How do we know the women and children gave? We know that the women gave because later on the Parsha it says, The men came together with the women. So we know that women gave. How do we know children gave? Sapnath Paneach says there were children that donated, people under the age of 13, kids under the age of 13, that donated to the Mishkan. Avos Rebbe Nasan learns it out from the Pasuk a kaleha that the people stopped bringing in Perak That there were people, even younger children, who gave whatever they could, that they wanted to give something, so they brought to the Mishkan itself. But that word Lamor, twice in the Pasik. To say over to other people is really strange. Typically a laymor is, Vay'dabar Hashem, O Moshe, lemur. Hashem spoke to Moshe, said that he should tell it over to other people. What are they supposed to tell over to other people? What is this? Moshe said to B'nai Yisrael, that B'nai Yisrael should say it to other people. And over here, Zedavar Hashem, Laymor. Now what? What is this command that he's trying to tell them? So there are 10 answers that I saw to this question. We'll be able to go through some of them today. Rashi answers that Moshe was telling everyone that a Kadosh Baruch had commanded him to tell them what they had to do. It's me that I was commanded to tell everyone else what it's supposed to be. So the laymore is not that B'nai Yisrael should tell other people. It's that I have to be involved in telling you. It's a command straight to me through to you. It's as if the mitzvah is on them to do, not on me. The Moshevin, who was not given this opportunity, this mitzvah, to donate to the Mishkan. The mitzvah was not given to him. It was given over to everybody else, but not to him himself. Maria Saad and the Mayana Shel Torah, both saved from the Medrashim, by Rabbah, Perak Aleph, Halacha Vav that Moshe Rabbeinu was upset that he wasn't able to donate anything to the Mishkan. He so badly wanted to give to the Mishkan, but he didn't have the opportunity to. So many times he said, can I bring, can I do something, what can I do? And a Kaddish Baruch Hu said the following to him. He said, chaviva kol. Your speech, what you tell over to Ben Israel, is more beloved to me than anything else that anybody gave. The fact that you're willing to say it over to K'la Yisrael is so great. And if we read this pasuk, the Maria Sad says that's what it's saying. Zeh this dibor that I have, Asher Hashem. That's what Hashem commanded me, Laimor, to tell over to B'nai Yisrael. I'm not supposed to donate anything else. I can't bring gold. I can't bring silver. I can't bring copper. Even though Moshe Rabbeinu had the money, had the money. Maybe not at this point. Depends on when Parsons of Ayaka was said. But at least at some point, there was something that Moshe Rabbeinu had that he could give. And no. No, he's not supposed to give anything else. Maybe that's what Rashi means when he's saying this line over here, that this is considered my, my donation, even though I'm giving nothing of value. The fact that I'm getting the people to give, that I'm being told to tell the people to give, that already is my donation. That's my boy that I should say it over to everybody else. But that's one answer. The Orach Haim Akadar says probably the simplest answer there, although many of the men were there, there were some men that weren't there. There were also some women and children that weren't there, and Moshe Rabbeinu I mean, was told to tell it over to them. He's telling B'nai Yisrael, lay more, say it over to those women and children and those men that aren't around. All those people that haven't been here yet, tell it over to them. That's the Lamer over here. So we have the first answer of Rashi, which is just sort of a, I am told to tell it to you, therefore I'm telling you. And the second answer is that everybody had to say it over to other people. If you know somebody that's not here, if you know somebody that's not involved, then tell it over to them. That's the second answer the Orachayim HaKadosh gives. But the Ego DeKalas says a really, really good line. And it really applies by almost everything we do. We try to do things L'shem Shemayim. We try to do things for the sake of heaven. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. When we eat on Shabbos, we're supposed to be doing a L'shem Shemayim. But the truth is, we're kind of not really doing a L'shem Shemayim. We know that. It's really hard to do things for the right reasons, to do things in the right way. Iguet says, in order for them to do this correctly, they had to say out loud, as they were giving their donations, they would say, Zedavrashir tziva Hashem. That way, no other thoughts would enter their minds. While they were doing it, they had to say, this is what I'm supposed to do. Here's the donation I'm supposed to give. I'm doing this because HaKadosh Baruch Hu told me to do this. So Moshe Rebbe was telling them, Kol HaRas Yisrael, lay more. B'nei Yisrael, I want you to say out loud the following. When you're giving your donation, take your gold, take your silver, take your copper. Hand it over and say, Zed Tziv Hashem. This is the matter that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has commanded us to do. And that says the Igritakala was an issue that he saw among the people. Were they giving? They were giving. Were they donating? They were donating. But were they donating for the right reasons? Were they doing it Lashem Shemayim? Were they thinking about God when they were giving it? Or were they thinking of possibly the ability, like, oh wow, I could give something and it could become the Aron Kodesh. I could give something and it could become the menorah. What were they thinking as they were giving it? And the answer is, says Moshe Rabbeinu, say these words and then you won't have that problem. That issue won't come into play. That's what the, 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 the Igritakala says. The Be'er Mayim Chaim says that this really is a true statement about anything we do. Whenever you're about to do something, Kiddushah, Kadosh, the way to do it and the way to act about it is by saying out loud what you plan on doing. Say it out loud. Say, this is what I want to do. Zadavar Hashem. This is what I plan on doing. And by saying that, that knocks off all the Mechachachim, the accusers that are out there in the world. Moshe was telling B'nai Esau, you want to get rid of your accusers? You want to do this in the best possible? You want this to be in a way where everybody sees you're doing it for the right reason? Then say out loud what you want to do and you'll be able to accomplish anything you want. That will be awesome. And again, this is just an idea of planning. When you go through your day and you daven, why not plan out your day while you're in the midst of davening? In Shema Kuleinu, you have a plan. HaKadosh Baruch this is what I want to do today. If you do that, if you have down, this is what I want to do today. I want to go through this, this, and that. And we're all busy. And we've got tons of things to do. And to have your list of what you want to do today and dive into HaKadosh Baruch in the midst of your davening, in Shema Kuleinu, or at the end of your davening, right before the second Yule Zonim Fe. You get up and you say, HaKadosh Baruch here's my plan. I have a plan, and I want to do this and that and this. And I know it's going to be a lot, and I'm going to try to accomplish it, but you say it out loud already that turns it into a different place. Some people write it down on a piece of paper and they make lists for themselves of what they need to do and they check off whenever things are done so it feels like they accomplished something or cross out whatever it is so they feel like they accomplished something. That's awesome. But saying it out loud turns it into a reality. That makes it into something heavier, something more special because it's something that you're actually doing right there in front of you and that's the suggestion of the Be'er Mayim Chaim to get yourself involved. Ramosha Feinstein answers that the reason why it says the word Lamar is because it was a very specific sevoy that Bnei Yisrael would do it on, a, a, a based on the command and not just on their own. We know, Gadol Hametsuva the Ose. Greater is someone who's commanded to do something. Mimisha Enametsu Vosa someone who's not commanded to do something. And there's a bunch of reasons given. For example, a person getting up for shacharis and davening, because I'm commanded to do so and to daven in the morning, even though there's a non-Jew that does the exact same thing. But the non jews not commanded to daven. I'm commanded to daven, even if he's davening to Hashem. I'm commanded to daven. That means I have a Haro. I have a Yitzharu trying to knock me down and say, don't daven. I have an idea of what I'm supposed to do that Sevoy might make it a little bit harder for me than someone who doesn't have the Sevoy. I have that problem. He doesn't have that problem. A gadol It's greater somebody who's commanded to do something than someone who is not. She'eno Mitsuva Therefore, this is a great thing for Kalah Yisrael. They're told about a specific mitzvah, a specific mitzvah that they would allow themselves to give donations. If it was just Moshe going up and saying, hey, anybody want to give? And people give, that's one thing. But that's Eino Mitzvah v'ose. This is a command. Zedavar Shirtziva Hashem. Lay more. This is the command telling you guys, guess what? You get a mitzvah for this. And therefore, it might be a little bit harder to donate because you be the Yitzhaharov but you'll be rewarded even greater. If you do this, you get an even greater reward. That's the concept of what that tziboy is, commanding them to do something, to give them the schus of being a metzuvah osa. That's answer number four. Answer number five, Ramosh says the lamor is a really big one. You know, we think all the time that what we do doesn't really matter. Because, like, there are gedolim out there in the world. And, like, if I can do something and Rav Chaim Knievsky could do something, isn't it better if Rav Chaim does it instead of me? In fact, when it comes to Hasidim, many of them will prefer that the Rebbe gets the opportunity to do the mitzvah. Yeah, I could do Shiloh HaKan, but why don't I invite my Rebbe to do it instead of me so that the Rebbe can do it? Because the Rebbe will do the mitzvah better than I'll ever be able to do it. So why should I take this mitzvah and use it myself, right, when the Rebbe can get it? And that is, it, it's unbelievable, people that are willing to give up a mitzvah to give it over to someone else because they think the other person is able to do it better. There were people who said here, we're not donating to the Mishkan. Me, me giving to the Mishkan, if I take out my wallet and I put it down on the table and I take out the money and I put it there, what does that mean? Who am I that I get to donate to the Mishkan? But if I give my money to Moshe and I have Moshe donate the money, if I do that and I give it over to him and he gives it instead of me, wouldn't that be greater? Any donation given by I Moshe mean, is going to be with the right kavanos, the right intentions. There's going to be the right thought process behind it. That's going to be awesome. If I do it in such a way, wouldn't that be more awesome? Wouldn't that be greater? There so were many people in Claudius, says, "We're Moshe Feinstein." who said they were just willing to give their money over to Moshe Rabbeinu, not give it straight to the Mishkan, give it to Mo- money to Moshe, donate it to him, and say, Moshe, whatever you want to do with it, go ahead and do with it, and Moshe will give it to the Mishkan, and that way everything will be donated in the proper fashion. To that, HaKadosh Bar, who told Klau Yisrael, Lamor he said, "Lamor, I want you to know it's your mitzvah, not Moshe's. It's your mitzvah to do. Why? Maybe because the of, and this was needed, necessary for a kapara, for everything they do with the of itself. But really the truth is, is that even though Gedolim can do mitzvahs greater than us, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing it ourselves. We have the opportunity to do a mitzvah in a different way than a gadol can. A gadol is convinced that this is the right thing and we I don't want to say we're not convinced. We don't have that same amount of mitahkot and amuna, but we have an ability. We have a bigger Sahara, Maybe we won't give. Maybe we won't do something. When we push ourselves and we do it ourselves, maybe the level that we're on allows it to be even stronger, even greater. Maybe that's what happens over here. And in that way, it could be it's even better, Feinstein, for a person himself to give it, that's why it's less, the lesson that we learn over here. I don't care how lowly you seem, how it seems like, what am I possibly going to do? You're greater than a guddle in certain things. And you don't know what. Here, this is what Moshe Rabbeinu told. Go ahead and do this. The Rashba, in his Chuvah's number 582, says the following, that it's mutter and it should be done to publicize the names of the donors for anything big, for a shul, for a base medrash, for a yeshiva, that it should be publicized. That instead of doing it anonymously, that we don't know exactly who did this, you should say your name, say who you are, so that people can see that and say, wow, if he did it, I'm going to do it as well. Maybe they'll think to themselves, wow, that guy was awesome, he did something, I really want to be like that person. And therefore, for that reason, announce it, publicize it, say it out loud. He says the reason for this is this week's Parsha. Asher Tziva Hashem, when you give what Hashem commands you to do, lay more. Say it over to other people. Tell other people what you're doing. And obviously, if a person is working on his kavod, on his honor, and he doesn't want to be known as that guy, and he doesn't want people to think that he's the one donating, etc., then obviously you've got to take everything as it goes. You don't want to be that guy who's bragging and telling everybody, look what I was able to do. That's if you're working on it, if you yourself were working on it. If you weren't, if you weren't doing that, if that's not your issue at the time, Then get it publicized. Let other people see that you donated. If you gave a great amount of money to something that you didn't think you were going to be able to give, that's awesome. That's awesome. Everybody should see that. Everybody should emulate that. So do that, says the Rashba. And if that's true, then over here as well, this is the idea of what it meant to donate to the Mishkan. Everyone should announce what they gave. It should be mentioned. I saw something from an organization here in Chicago. They sent out an email. They mentioned every single person who donated to to their dinner it was altogether something like 560 people that donated to the dinner, and every single person, they put on a list all the way through, and they said, here's all the people. The Kila Fund here in Chicago, right, announces every person who gives a certain amount per month, like if you give 18, 36, 25, whatever it is, 72 per month, and even more than that, obviously, you're put in a list. And that shows, like, why are you not on that list? There's so many people here. Why can't you make this list? That's the idea behind it, and that's the idea behind what you can get out of this, that what this Rashba is teaching us from this word laymore over here. The Rabbeinu Ephraim says, there are times when you should say something to people, and there are times when you shouldn't. If you know that a person is going to accept your musr, you know that a person, I had an opportunity this week, unbelievable opportunity. A person came to my house, they wanted to speak to me. And I said, 100%. And in the middle of the conversation, I knew there was something that this person had to work on. But I didn't want to work it in. It didn't seem like the opportune time. But there was something this person definitely needed to work on. And right in the middle, I saw an opening. Just a Pesach. Where we started with something and I said, right there. And I brought it in. Now, if I would have brought it up on its own, then it probably would have just been like, Rabbi, don't talk to me about that. That's not something I want to talk about. And I totally get it. It is a hard thing to talk about with people. I know I'm being vague, but it's a difficult thing to talk about. And I knew that if I said it in the wrong way, it wasn't going to go well. But if you can get it in there, it worked. It actually worked. It was something that I was able to, to just knock inside there. And all of a sudden, it was able to be heard. If you can say something that the person will be able to listen to, accept, and grow from, then you say it. And if not, it might be better not to say it at all might be better not to say anything at all. Says the Rebbeinah that also was learned out from this thing over here, from this Pesach, Hashem Laymore. He's telling them, say it out loud if you know that this command is going to be taken seriously, the mitzvah is going to be taken seriously. There's a great story. And I've seen it in three different versions. I heard it with the Kedusha Slavi. Forgive me if anybody's heard it from anybody else. But the story is the following. The Kedusha Slevi once took, he took walks with his Gabbai all the time when every part of the city who he was, it went from one part, of the, one part of the city to the other. I don't know if this is in Berditchiv or somewhere else, but the Kedushas Levy went. One day, he went with this Gabai to the other side of the town where there were other people there, not as from Jews as those, I can't say not from yet because he didn't turn from in the end of the story, so that's okay, but not as from as they were. in the Hasidish side, right, people that weren't, that weren't doing the same thing. He's walking there and the by was wondering, Kedushas Levi doesn't usually go on this side. They came to a certain house. This house was owned by the manager of one of the larger banks in the town. So this banker, the manager of the bank, was a very wealthy guy and he had a very large house. The Rebbe went right up, knocked on the door. The manager opened up the door, saw that it was the Rebbe and was shocked Obviously, he knew who the Rebbe was. It wasn't his Rebbe, but nonetheless, he knew who he was. He pulled the door fully open. He said, Rebbe, please come in. He sat him down on the couch. He offered him food, drink. The Rebbe didn't take anything. He sat down on the couch, and he just sat there. So the guy expectantly sat across from the Rebbe and, and just waited. But silence. Because the Rebbe was silent. So he waited there five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Now it's more of an awkward silence than it is a silence he looked over the Gabbai, he said, what's going on? The Gabbai said, I have no idea, absolutely no idea. So finally, after half an hour, the Kedusha's lady nods his head, he says, thank you so much for having me, gets up and starts walking toward the door. So immediately the wealthy man, you know, the the guy just walks him to the door, gives him his jacket, lets him go, but he can't let it go there. So he starts walking with the Rebbe, maybe the Rebbe wants me to come with him. So the Rebbe starts walking, walks behind. He starts going back, all the way back to his house, Kedush Levy is about to enter his house, and this guy is walking behind, walking behind, until finally they come to the Kedush Levy's door. Kedush Levy is ready to open up the door, and the guy says to him, Rabbi, I'm so sorry. Why did you come to my house? What did you come for? You didn't come to eat, you didn't come to drink. You just sat down on my couch, and that was it. So Rabbi turned to him and said, I did a mitzvah. He said, a mitzvah? What kind of mitzvah did you do? He said, Keshem Shemitzvah, just like there's a mitzvah to tell something to someone when he'll listen to you. It's a mitzvah to not say something when someone won't listen to you. I know you're not going to listen to me. So I didn't tell you anything. And that's my mitzvah. So the guy looked at the Levi incredulous. He just looks at him and he's just like, how do you know I'm not going to listen to you? So Kishore he says, I know, I know you're not going to listen to me. He said, but maybe I will. Maybe you should tell me. Kishore he said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you. I, I don't want to lose out in this mitzvah. He said, Rebbe, you can't know whether I'm going to or not. Maybe I would. Maybe I'm going to listen. Why don't you just tell me? The lady looks at him and says, all right, I'll tell you. There's a lady. She's a widow. It's a a story, right? You need something like that. She's a widow. She lost her home. The home was foreclosed on and the bank took hold. The bank that you're the manager of took hold of this home. She's going to lose her home. She has a bunch of orphans sitting in the house. She has nowhere to go, right? And I was wondering if you could help. So the manager said, "Rebbe, I'm so sorry. I'm not the owner of the bank. I'm only the manager of the bank. I can't help in this. So Rabbi said, I know, that's why I didn't want to tell you. Now not only did I tell you, but I lost out on the opportunity to do a mitzvah. You didn't listen. So the reverse psychology worked. The guy went back, he paid for the mortgage himself to make sure that she had her home, ended up working. The story is an amazing story. It's a funny story in how we how the rebel worked his magic there. But the concept is Ksheim Shemitsu Lishmoa, right, or Lomar. Kshu nishma, when a person is going to hear it, Kach Mitzvah, it is a mitzvah to not say it, and that's learned out from this Pusuk as well. You tell it over to the people, when you know they'll listen to you to donate. But you don't say it over if you don't know if they're going to donate itself. That's how the Rabbeinu Ephraim learns it. The Dorash David learns another thing over here. The double Laymor says there might have been two commands, and I believe this is number seven that we have so far. The first was for Moshe to command the people to bring their donations to the Mishkan. That was one thing. you got to tell them that. The second command was for the people to urge each other to do it. Not just to tell the people that weren't there, to urge each other. I know you were there and I know you want to donate. Donate with me. Come with me. Let's go together right now. It's for everybody in Cloud Yisrael not only to worry about their own donation, but to help the others do it themselves. Let's go next door. Let's get this guy to do it. Let's go that. get that guy to do it. We'll all bring our donations together that everybody helps each other to be able to do it. The first laymore is to tell over to the original people that they should give. The second laymore is to be able to urge others to go with you so that everybody's bringing it together. And that's why the double lotion of of, of laymore is used over here. According to that, that means everyone here is an OSET. They're bringing their tzedakah. They're doing something. They're bringing their money. And they're also a ma'aseh. They're getting others to do it. They're forcing others to bring their money. They're allowing for other people to do it. And that's the double lashon throughout these psukim, where it seems like there's nisa'olibo and then nadvalibo, people that are donating, people that are lifting their hearts, people that are forcing others and people giving themselves. And it's that. So why here? Why now? Why only by the Mishkan do we have this concept where not only do you do it, but you help others? Tell me, by benching, are you supposed to bench and force the guy who's sitting next to you to bench as well? supposed to do that? It doesn't say that anywhere. When you say Shema, you're supposed to say Shema and get the other guy to say Shema with you? That doesn't exist by any other mitzvah. Why all of a sudden by the Mishkan, when donating the Mishkan, you're supposed to do this? Even by Tzedakah, you don't do this. If you're sitting there and a Mishkan comes by and you give him a dollar, do you have to force the person next to you to give him a dollar? No, of course not. So what's the difference? Why is it that if one guy is bringing to the Mishkan, he's got to force other people to do it? Arvus, a concept of we're all responsible for one another, that starts when you enter Eretz Yisrael. This is not Eretz Yisrael yet. They're in the midbar. Why is there a chiyuv over here to do such a thing? And the concept is, since the mitzvah of donating to the Mishkan was to be machaper for the Egel, to atone for what they had brought for the Egel, bringing gold to the Egel, it could be, that they all had to do it together, but it's more than that. Hashras shchina, you want the shchina to rest, and that's what the mishkan is, right? Mishkan is from the word shchina. The mishkan comes from the word shchina. There is supposed to be this idea of the shchina coming down the kallah coming together and bringing everyone together. You want the shchina to be there. You need everyone to do it together. You need actus between everyone in Kalah Yisrael, building it up together in the first place. And if you do that, then maybe you'll be able to get everyone together. And that's why. By everywhere else, you don't need this. But you want to build the shechina? You want to make a housing for the shechina? You want the shechina to come down? You better force your friend to be with you. Because if you don't get everyone, if one person misses out, one person doesn't bring, you don't have the shechina, you don't have achdus, you don't have the shechina, you can't bring them all together. That's the concept over here. That's not easy. You know why that's not easy? If I'm the only one donating, then I know that my money is going toward the, toward the Aram Kodesh. I know that. I'm the only one who's bringing any gold. But if I'm bringing gold, and I'm forcing everyone else to bring gold as well, how do I know my gold is going toward the Aram? Maybe it's going to the menorah. The menorah is also awesome. But how do I know my money is going to what I want it to go toward? When I ask other people to donate with me, I lose the chashivas, the kavod that I could get. I'm losing out on a little bit of that cover. I'm not getting what I could possibly get. So how can I get that pure, pure cover that I want? Where am I supposed to get that from? That's why everyone is trying to bring, bringing them together was a huge mywa. It was something that they had to force themselves to do. And even though I might lose out from it, I'm willing to do it because that's what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants. That shows, shows true achtas and allows them to bring down that screen over here. And that's the concept. What a great concept. What a person can do if they bring it together. But let's go to the next point. All of that was answering as to what the Lamor is referring to. The parsha of Shabbos is written right by this Pusuk. Right before this Pusuk of Ayomer Moshe, Al-Khaled Aspenesol, Pusuk, Aleph, Beis, and Gimel are all talking about Shabbos. What's the connection? Says the Balaturim. The first word here is Vayomer. The last word over there is HaShabbos. You take the Rashi Tevis and Sofi Tevis of Vayomer and HaShabbos and you have Torah. Says the Balaturim. The reason why is because it's best to learn Torah on Shabbos afternoon. Shabbos is a time that's made for learning. That if you have no opportunity during the weekend, that happens. We don't have the opportunity, we don't have time, because there's so much stuff going on in our lives. Shabbos. Shabbos is the time to do it. This is all based on Tana Debeli, O Rabba. Perak Aleph says, Shabbos, Yehosek Kulo Torah. Make your Shabbos entirely Torah. You me Shabbos. Perak Tesvav HaLach HaGimel says the same thing as well. Lo nitnu Shabbosos Yamim toven l'Yisro. The reason why we have Shabbos in Yomtev. La asik torah. So you can learn Torah. That's what it was made for. The Torah in Semen Rish Saudi brings a medrash. That Shabbos complained to kaddish Baruch Hu and says, what's going to be with me? Everybody's going to go to their fields, they're going to work. Everyone's going to go to their flocks, they're going to do stuff with their flocks. When are they going to have time to learn Torah? And kaddish Baruch Hu said, Shabbos. Shabbos and Torah are paired up together. That we have the ability to. If a person goes through Shabbos and doesn't get to learn it all, doesn't learn anything. I don't mean just the Dvar Torah at the table or the speech that the rabbi gives for five minutes. I mean, you don't get to learn. You don't get to pick up a Gemara or a Chumash or anything. You don't get to do something. You're missing out on something. You don't do a Halacha on Shabbos. You don't get to do extra stuff on your own. Take that opportunity. You have the extra minutes. The Ben says that every time you learn a blot on Shabbos, it counts for the other days of the week when you couldn't learn. Every blot is multiplied by seven. You do one blot of Gemara on Shabbos, you're doing seven blot of Gemara on Shabbos. You do two, you're doing 14. I wouldn't say exponentially. Multiply, keep multiplying by seven all the way through so that every time you could do 28 blot, 35 blot, 42 blot by taking your time and saying, I want to do this. And yeah, the nights are getting shorter, but guess what? You know what happens when the nights get shorter? The days. Get longer, and I know it's amazing. It's like one of those things that just happens. But you have time. You have time. Yes, Shabbos naps are awesome. Getting thirty-five blot done on Shabbos by doing five blot is awesomer, and that's a word. Yeah, of course, one. of course. So how can you say that there is no shear to Torah learning, and yet you're still going to get seven times, however much you do. So for you, it might even be one line. So what? It's seven times that line. That's the share that you can believe in. But that one line could be equal to somebody else doing a hundred blot. That's the idea. But you still get seven times for doing that Shabbos. Try to do something. I forgot the name of the Rav that told me this story, but it happened in the Igudah Convention two years, three years ago here in Chicago, where he said he had Rav Ovad Yosef came to his house for Shabbos. Rav Yosef came to his house for Shabbos. He lived in Brooklyn. This is the Rav that lives in Brooklyn. a Spartac Rav that lives in Brooklyn. Ravadi Yosef came to his house. It's such an amazing story. Ravadi Yosef asked if he could see the room that he was going to be staying in that night. So the rub brought him up to the third floor. He had a third floor that was entirely a guest room. He brought him up to that floor and he showed it was a large room, one big room that had a bed, that had a table, everything inside there and a washroom as well. Everything was up on that floor. So Ravadi Yosef looked around, smiled. He said, this is great. Is there a room, is there a room that I could sit in that won't disturb, where the light won't disturb my rabbin, the Rabbanit. Is there a place that I can go? So the rabbi looked around, right, and realized, well, there's a closet. So they open up the closet, and the closet is like this big. It's just big enough to fit a, you know, one of those plastic chairs, you know, like one of those, like, Israeli plastic chairs, you know, that fall apart when you sit on them. One of those, and a tiny little bench, a tiny little bench. So Vlad Yosef said, Yofi, he took his pile of svaran, put it all on a little bench, all on one little, the bench in there, right? Kept the light on, closed the door, and that was that. rabbi didn't think anything of it. The next morning, Rabbi Yosef was already out of the house. He went to a vasik minion. So the rabbi comes down the stairs. He sees the Rabbinit sitting at the table, the kitchen table, drinking coffee. So he goes up to her and says, how did you sleep last night? The Rabbinit said, amazing. Thank you so much. My husband spent the entire night in the closet. Rabbi Yosef spent all Shabbos night, learning in a small cramped closet, no air no air, no air condition, no anything sitting in a closet with those farm, one after the other until he went to Vasika so the rabbi was in, just he couldn't believe it turned to the rabbinite and he said, why did he do this? the rabbi said, what do you, this is what he does every Shabbos he doesn't want to waste Shabbos sleeping, how could you waste Shabbos sleeping? there's an opportunity to learn you could do so much more, why wouldn't you do it? Now, granted, okay, that's why he was Ravavad Yosef Zatza. That's why he used the gadolador. We don't have to learn all night in a closet that has no air with a little light in it and a little bench in a plastic chair that we don't need. You can be in a comfortable seat. You can learn another type of book. You can learn something else. But at least take something out to learn something a little bit extra, to do something a little bit more. That's awesome. That's what you're going to learn from that type of a story. That's the idea behind it. There's another Kedusha slavery over here as well as its Tepharas and I'm skipping them right now. The Orachai So The Orachai says based up... Uh, you know what? You can see the Orachai inside also. I'm skipping that as well. Go down to the bottom of the page. The Kliaka points out in Parsha's Matos there's a major difference between the Nebuah of Moshe Rabbeinu and the Nebuah of every other Navi. You've heard the words Aspaklariyah HaMe'ira. You ever heard those words before? Aspaklariyah Me'ira. Aspaklariyah Me'ira means like a clear vision. You have a window and you can see through the glass. Now, if you look at the glass, there still is a little bit of a reflection where you can see yourself a little bit, but you can see on the other side of the glass, right? There's no problem with it. The nevuah of Moshe Rabbeinu was as if he was talking face-to-face, panim al-panim pe el pe, with a Baruch Hu. And that means it was like a window where he's able to look through and see whatever he needed to get. There were words given to him, not just visions, but words. Every other Navi had a vision that was sort of like a mirror. It was as if it was a mirrored image where they were looking at the mirror and it showed them as if they were looking at themselves and they could see visions, they could see pictures, they saw something which they had to translate and turn into something and make it into a, into a nevuah. But it was something that they had to see and then translate and take in for themselves. According to this Kleoker, the Kleoker says there's Aspaklaria ha me'ira, which is clarity, Moshe Rabbeinu, Aspaklaria me'ira. And that's the difference. How do you define those? Says Rashi and Parshas Matos. The other Neviim, they were able to say, Ko amar, Hashem. Ko amar Hashem, is so says God. How do I know? I saw a vision. I translated it. Here's what I think HaKadosh Baruch Hu was saying. Ko Hashem, so says HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Moshe Rabbeinu said, Zeha ha davor asher Hashem. Everything he saw from Akarish Baruch Hu was so clear. It was Zeh. He could point to it like we do Zosator asher Moshe. It's this this is what it was. He could point to it with his finger. This wasn't guesswork. This wasn't a Nebuah that he was making up on his own. This is Zeh Divorce Shretziv HaShem. This is something that I can see with my own, ha- my own eyes. That's the difference between them. A Moshe Rabbeinu could say a Zeh. Somebody like Yoshua, even Yoshua, the greatest of the Nevi'im after Moshe Rabbeinu was only able to do Ko Amar HaShem. The greatest of the other Nevi'im can get to a level of Ko. It wasn't the same type of Navua. This is the difference between Moshe Rabbeinu and everybody else. This Pasuk, therefore, is telling us, Zadavar of Vashem, it shows the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu. Why this? Why is it this Pasuk that shows this greatness over here? And why doesn't Rashi mention anything over here? If this shows the greatness of Moshe, how awesome he was, then say something, tell me something about this. It could be that you might have made a mistake and assumed that everything here, about the Mishkan and everything that was being done was only through a person like Moshe Rabbeinu. That Bnei Yisrael didn't deserve it. That Zad of I can see it, I see it with my own eyes, I'm able to describe to you what I'm seeing, and I can bring it over to you, and I can make you do exactly what I want. Maybe you think that's all Moshe Rabbeinu, but it's not. The Mishkan's ours. The Mishkan's for ourselves. Each one of us has that, and that's the reason why it says in Parsis Trum, V'Sha'chanti B'Socham, I dwelled within you. I dwelled within you. It's not about the overall the Shechina has to be in a certain place. Every Jew has a part in this Mishkan. Every Jew donates to the Mishkan. Every Jew is involved in the Mishkan itself. And if that's true, then you might make a mistake. If Zadavar Shri Vashem shows Moshe Rabbeinu's greatness, maybe you think it's all about Moshe. It's not. It's about us. It's really about us. It's the Hafla says that really Moshe rabbinu lost the level by the Egol Azov. Because when the Eglazov happened and Bnei Yisrael did not deserve to have anything anymore. Moshe having lost the level that he was supposed to be on. He only got it back when he davened. But he himself lost it because B'nai Saul had lost it. It's such a crazy thing to think about that Mamash, everything is based on the people. Not on a great man like Moshe, but on the people themselves. I'm going to go to the Chesam There's two Chesam here. One that's just a crazy one. And the Chesam says, Shabbos is mentioned right before to hint what you're allowed to do on Shabbos itself. Yes, it's usher to do malacha on Shabbos. You can't do the Mishkan, right? 39 malachos are usher on Shabbos itself. And we learn it from the juxtaposition between these two parshios about Shabbos right by the Mishkan itself. Yeah, we learned that from over here. But it also tells you what's mutter. It's usher to do, but it's mutter to think. Mimso chafzecha is something that's usher. You can't do something that allows it to happen. But chafzei shamayim... It's mutter to be able to think about and consider and calculate and do whatever you need to do. As it says in Shabbos, it says the Chassam Sofer. You're allowed to do the same nowadays. Even though you're not allowed to do actual work, are you allowed to talk about tzedakah purposes on Shabbos? Can you raise money on Shabbos for a shul, for a yeshiva, for things like that? Yes. If you need money for something, you're allowed to do it on Shabbos itself or a dvar mitzvah. And a dvar mitzvah you could do because that leads to dvar on See, even though it seems like these psukom are trying to tell you something that's usher, don't do the 39 malachos on Shabbos. And that's why they're connected. It also tells you what you are allowed to do. Although you're not allowed to do 39 malachos on Shabbos, you could talk about this on Shabbos. You could talk about building the mishkan on Shabbos and what you need and the different measurements and why those measurements are there. That you could do. And that's an important point. That you're allowed to do on Shabbos. And if you can think of a mitzvah, something you have, okay, we can't all learn all Shabbos long but to at least consider other things that are awesomeness, things about that HaKadosh Baruch has done, that we're able to do, things that involve Kiddush on Shabbos, that's a great thing to speak about. We'll stop with that, guys. What we talked about today was, simply put, the ten answers as to what it means by the word lamor. Why write the word lamor over here? We went into the Bala Turim, how to learn on Shabbos, that line over there. We said over two stories, one from the Doresh David as well. Well, not from the Doresh David, but from the, based on the Rabin Ephraim as well as the story of Ravad Yosef. Went through the Kliyakr, the difference between the two types of Nebuah, Kolmar Hashem and Zadavar Hashem, and the Chesam Sofer of what we are allowed to do on Shabbos itself. Have a great Shabbos, everyone.